Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Vital Signs of Democracy podcast. Is democracy threatened in America? We never thought in our lifetimes we would be asking that question. Yet here we are, seemingly more polarized than any other time in our history since the civil war between the northern and the southern states. In the last few years, we've been engaged in an information war, a cultural conflict between at least two competing visions to make America great, and the news cycle spinning stories to their red and blue tribes, each blaming the other tribe for the war. So we're going to take an in-depth look at how both of these narratives are having an impact on democracy itself in the United States. Hi, I'm Debbie Lynn Molyneux, co-publisher of The Fulcrum. I'm also the president and CEO of Bridge Alliance, which is a coalition of almost 600 organizations who are working to bring about a thriving, just, and healthy democratic republic. You can learn more about our work at bridgealliance.us. And I'm David Reardon, director of Vital Signs of Democracy. That every two weeks, we publish a rating of the threat level to democracy in America based on our unique narrative analysis of the news. And every two weeks in this podcast, we will look at some of those diverse narratives. And if we don't like the story that seems to be emerging, explore how we can all contribute to changing it. So let's get started. Let's get into some of the main stories that you guys think influence the results of the 2022 midterms. What narrative theme emerged? From the midterm voting results that vital signs identified and other media missed as important to democracy thriving or failing in this country well the hangover from the 2022 midterms is still lingering isn't it we're just beginning to see how each party is reacting to the red wave of MAGA republicans not materializing and the biden democrats doing somewhat better than they expected in the battleground states now, I'm not sure that the mainstream media missed the question we're tracking now, because at Vital Signs, we take a much more comprehensive look at the key narratives that are emerging across the 10 categories of news about democracy that we analyzed. And at the moment, that is leading us to ask this bigger question. And here it is. Which party, the Biden Democrats or the MAGA Republicans, will learn the most from the midterm results? So far, the MAGA Republican leadership in the House seems to be already doubling down on convening nuisance investigations into the Justice Department and Hunter Biden. It seems, at least for the moment, they are sticking with their version of the Make America Great story that never saw a conspiracy theory or a grievance it didn't like. Now, in addition, the MAGA Republican leadership is also now threatening to oppose raising the debt ceiling. I mean, that allows the U.S. government to meet its financial obligations, which Congress has already passed. It seems it wants to use their approval as a bargaining chip in forcing Democrats to seriously cut the federal budget. Now, if they're successful, experts are already saying this could have a disastrous financial impact on citizens in the U.S. and globally, among other things. Now, the Biden Democrats, on the other hand, are still celebrating their better-than-expected midterm results. However, their margin of victory in the key battleground states was very small. We wonder what would have happened if MAGA Republicans had run more moderate, less radical candidates for the House and the Senate. But as it relates to the Biden Democrats, what we're watching for now is this. Are they going to stick with the woman's right to choose and threats to democracy narratives 
as their only pitches to voters as they began to push towards the 2024 election. Now, these were very successful in the midterms. The question is, do you want to keep riding that horse or do you want to sort of broaden your narrative? And what would that look like? It would need to compete with the MAGA Republican leadership on kitchen table issues like economic hardship, the rise of violent crime, and the immigration mess at the border. So for the Biden Democrats, this is a messaging challenge, no doubt. We believe they have to create an expanded narrative for middle-class white voters in blue and red states that reminds them that they've helped them financially in the past and will continue to do so moving forward. Now, we're seeing some indications of what that improved narrative could sound like in President Biden's State of the Union address on the 7th. But as we always say, talk is cheap. Will the Democrats make America great story now include disenfranchised white working class voters that mostly went for former President Trump in 2016 and 2020? So that's the main question we're tracking as the midterms recede into distant memory. What stories are getting your attention at the moment? I have really been struck by this ability of politicians to lie with impunity. You know, we have a sitting member of Congress who lied his way into office and there's little, if any, recourse to remove him. And I understand like they keep saying there's a process that's in place with the ethics committee, but I don't really have confidence in that. And the fact that he is still in office undermines our willingness to believe in anything. And so we end up with these false binary choices again. Do I hate this future more or less than that future? And the midterms were a relief, you know, of course, but they were also concerning because I know there's strong conservative leaning in our nation, or perhaps it might be more accurate to say there is a love of the status quo and a normal human rejection of the big changes all at once. So whatever a better story is for our future, it has to include a respect or honoring of our existing traditions with the additions of new influences. So what's caught your attention recently? Well, here's one that we're tracking that's not getting much attention from the mainstream media. And one reason for that could be it has to do with a seemingly rare agreement between conservative and progressive news organizations. Now, one of the principles the free press is supposedly built on is the public's need to know. Ideally, a free press demands transparency from our elected officials on our behalf. And that's fine as far as it goes. But as we've also discussed, both conservative and progressive media organizations these days choose stories that are designed to rile their audiences up. So, for example, what was the lead story that dominated the progressive news this last week? I mean, what was it that we really needed to know? It wasn't the earthquake in Turkey, although they did cover some of that, or that Florida as a state is beginning to ban books that talk about slavery. It was, wait for it, Chinese spy balloons. Hours of primetime news coverage was dedicated to stoking the audience's fears about what these craft were and what they were doing. Now, you can have whatever opinion you want about the timing of disclosure the government owes us about these types of national security stories. But the thing that surprised us about the spy balloon coverage was there was considerable frustration 
vented by both liberal and conservative news pundits that the government was hiding something. So this is really an interesting point to just interject, like, how do we know we're in the presence of speculative reporting that's not based really on fact and at the whim of, if you will, the clickbait culture that that's a preponderance. And so I know that for myself, I can monitor like my own vital signs. So if I'm in the presence of a news story that's elevating my heart rate and I can feel my blood pressure go up a little bit and I feel anxious, I can stop and ask like, are they reporting real facts or are they speculating? And it gives me a choice at that moment to either turn off the news or to like calm myself in a way because they're just trying to keep my attention. And so I just wanna like inject that David because this vital sign for democracy includes vital signs for ourselves. We can use our own body to know what's good and what's bad. Well, from our standpoint, you're completely right. And vital signs, we notice the emotional and psychological impact of covering this kind of news every day. And here's our concern. The primetime news hours that were spent on this relatively nothing story about spy balloons potentially can distract us from the real dangers to democracy that we should be paying attention to. I guess another way of saying it is that if we fall down these rabbit holes of clickbait concern, we can miss the real things that are happening in all of our angst. So let me take a bit of a right turn for a moment and as a storyteller, talk about how the fictional yarns we spin in our movies, television, and now video games can be so powerful in reflecting back to us how we feel about the things happening in the real world. Now, sometimes at Vital Signs, when we have no idea why we're feeling a certain way about a narrative we're tracking, we will look at the current themes that are being expressed in our entertainment media, because that's where we come from. And these days, that includes user-created content like the TikTok videos. So as we've been tracking the increasing distrust that seems to be ramping up between Americans and the blue and red tribes, I was reminded of an old Twilight Zone television episode. Now, I know this is going to date me, but you can find the episode that I'm talking about on YouTube in all its black and white glory. In the early 60s, we had a lot of fear about the Soviet Union, and this was not something that we were totally imagining. In 1962, the Russians attempted to put missiles in Cuba, just 90 miles off our southern coastline. We deployed a blockade of naval ships and aircraft to stop them, while the world waited to see if this would actually be the start of World War III. So there was a classic episode that was entitled, The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. This Twilight Zone episode tells the story of residents in a typical American neighborhood and they see some strange lights pass over their street. They then start experiencing some strange flickering of their street lamps, and their TVs and radios keep going on and off in different houses. And this brings all the residents out into the street to see what's going on. Now, some in the crowd seem to be looking for reasonable explanations about these disruptions, and others are very paranoid that the Russians are invading and that some folks on their block might be helping them. We see this neighborhood descend into total chaos. I mean, some residents are killed, some homes are set on fire. As the pandemonium reaches its peak, 
the camera pulls back to the hilltop overlooking the neighborhood. There, two human-looking aliens standing in front of their spaceship are adjusting some dials on a console. And one of them says to the other, when they get this frightened, they pick the most dangerous enemy they can find. And it turns out to be them. All we have to do is disrupt a few of their systems and stand back and watch them destroy themselves. In a sense, this is what made this spy balloon story so interesting to us at Vital Signs. In our news organization's feeding frenzy to rack up bigger profits, they seem to be picking stories too many times that are designed to trigger fear and uncertainty in their audiences. And these stories usually blame the other tribe for whatever is happening. So in terms of trusting our news to give us useful information to make decisions, the two aliens reminded me of some of the folks that used to hold court on the fringes of both the left and the right that now seem to be fantasizing in social media about turning Americans against each other to achieve some new world order. The danger we see is we'll end up like the neighbors on Maple Street, convinced that there are monsters in the other tribe. So while we're on movies that have something to say about our current state, have you got one that comes to mind? I'm going to pull in another a movie, actually, that is the opposite of that. Like, this is a different story that might be a better model for us to follow. And this is a story uh, from the movie Chocolat. And so for people who don't know Chocolat, it was a movie that was made in both French and English. And it's the story of single mother and her daughter moving into this very provincial French town. And she opens up a chocolaterie, like, oh my God, who doesn't love chocolate, right? She begins interacting with town members and through her relationships, she garners a little bit of influence, if you will, over the townspeople that the equivalent of the mayor of the town doesn't like. And so he starts a campaign to demonize her to the rest of the townspeople. And at the, the crux of the story, when the mayor has a fall from grace and the woman who's moved there gives up, she's just giving up and she's about to just move on to the next town because she's been dealing with this her whole life. And it's part of why she and her daughter moved from town to town. The townspeople with whom she has related on a really friendly level come in and remake all of the chocolate that was destroyed by the mayor in an attempt to keep her from having a post-Easter celebration. And they basically embrace her as one of their own in the community. And the mayor backs down and accepts her as a member of the community as well. So have you seen a real world incident lately that mirrors what the mother and daughter experienced as they were trying to find a home in a new town? There was an incident in Pittsburgh where a young boy had a menorah in his window and somebody threw a rock through it. And of course, we know about the mass shooting that happened in Pittsburgh, too, a few years ago. But what was really interesting is that instead of people going, oh, that poor boy, he had a rock thrown through his window. Instead of people saying that poor boy, he had a rock thrown through his window, the neighborhood all went out and got menorahs and put menorahs in their windows too. They embraced this idea that not in my town, we will not accept hate in our town. And there's a movie about this that you can go online and see too, a documentary that they made about this called Not in Our Town. 
And it's a different way of fighting hate crime in the real world, which I believe is an example of the transformation that we need to have so we don't end up like the monsters on Maple Street. So those are two examples of when art can say something about the current conditions we live in. You know, as we track the stories that we think are influencing our democracy, I look forward to us continuing to look at the movies and television series we make just to see what they have to say about the narratives that are currently influencing us. So what's an example of a positive event that's taking place for you at the moment? So I am really hopeful about the efforts by some moderate conservatives, independents, and liberals that we're seeing within the Bridge Alliance community. For example, in poll after poll, there's about 65% of Americans who are in support of democratic institutions at both the state and federal level of governance. They may have some minor grievances, but all in all, they're strongly supportive of the institutions that currently exist. And I'm also hopeful about the efforts by some moderate conservatives, independents, and liberals who are shaping a new story about democracy in our country through democracy reform. However, we don't have any way to craft this narrative that will unite this majority of American voters to mitigate against this radical fringe. We actually need more imagination and spaces to sense make together. And we need to minimize the influence of the conflict profiteers who pick our pockets through lies that are designed to outrage us. Now, I'm not saying this majority coalition largely agrees on moderate policies. The details are to be worked out. But we could combine voter ID with more ways to vote. That's something that most people would compromise on. We can look at some social media regulation or responsibility so that social media is, does not become or continue to be a propagandist tool. We have broad agreement that we prefer nonviolent protests instead of riots. And we have broad agreement that we need to shore up election integrity instead of subversion. Underneath all of these issues that I'm just kind of brushing the surface on is a desire and a need to adhere to the process of democracy itself. And a reminder in our larger culture and part of our larger narrative is that democracy is the process of how we decide. It's not what we decide. Going forward, we need to preserve and update our existing democratic norms as a process so we can make collective decisions. This is why ranked choice voting and final four or five are gaining in popularity. You know, it's a slight modification to how we vote already. So it's that incremental change, but it levels the playing field and saves money in running elections. So we get that conservative, let's save some money. We get uh, a level playing field, which makes progressives a little more happy. And it's the type of moderate reform that actually strengthens democratic norms. So the ranked choice voting thing that happened in Alaska, that was really interesting to watch. And, you know, hopefully maybe it'll spread because it seems to give people better choices. So we've had a State of the Union address. What did you see in the spectacle of all that? Because to all of us at Vital Signs, it really seemed like some interesting theater that suggested a change in the tribal conflict story that we're living into in the moment. So normally when a president is presenting his plan to the country, his party stands to applaud the main points. And the opposition sits on their hands and makes faces. And now in this new era, we also have cat calls and much more kind of like a British parliament heckling. But three times in the Biden State of the Union address last week, he got all members of Congress to give him a standing ovation. 
And those points included regulating social media platforms, not touching Social Security and Medicare, which actually I thought was a brilliant move on Biden's part on how he did that. And there was a third standing ovation around police reform and the need to support our police around the country. But it was also interesting that right before that third standing ovation, there was not a standing ovation for Tyree Nichols' parents, whose son had just been brutally killed in Memphis. You know, the fact that these three moments happened in a single state of the union is completely unprecedented during our time. And it may suggest that even with the heckling, that it's possible to create narratives that have bipartisan support, regardless of the reason. Well, it's true. Those joint standing ovations were unprecedented. In all the state of the unions I've watched over the years, no matter which party was giving it, I can't remember it ever happening before. So that is one thing that happened during the State of the Union address. But what we discovered at Vital Signs when we put his address into our narrative analysis platform, there was something else in all of what he did that ties into one of the narratives we are tracking. And that is, will either party find a way to adjust their Make America Great Again story so they attract the 65% of American voters you mentioned earlier that agree they want democratic norms in this country. And as you pointed out, that group is made up of moderate conservatives, independents, and liberals. They represent a huge chunk of American voters. So as we broke down the address from a narrative perspective, it turned out it actually wasn't anything he said that contained clues to constructing such a bigger narrative that would attract a majority of voters. It was actually the tone of what he said that disarmed the room. One of the qualities of expression from both sides of Congress is a tone that many times can be angry, dismissive, or even worse, blaming the other tribe for the challenges we face as Americans. And recently in the lead up to the House vote on removing Democrat Representative Ilan Omar from the House Foreign Affairs Committee, congressmen and women gave impassioned speeches that either supported removing her from the committee or keeping her on. So I'm going to pick on Representative Omar here just to make a point of what we heard in our narrative analysis, but she's hardly the only one that does this. She stood and gave a very strong, fiery defense for her to remain on the committee. Now, in our view, Representative Omar has every right to use that tone. But it was in sharp contrast to what President Biden did in his State of the Union address. When he was rudely interrupted by heckling from some of the louder Republican members of Congress, he could have tried to ignore them, as other presidents have, or he could have pushed back angrily on their rudeness. But he did neither. Instead, he smiled and used this heckling to extract a promise from his opponents that they wouldn't cut Medicare and Social Security, even though they said that's what they wanted to do. And he did this all with humor. It was so unexpected that Congress eventually went silent. I mean, in a sense, he changed his story of how he wanted to interact with his opponents. And it was so disarming, we're still marveling at it. Now, at Vital Signs, we're not suggesting that all you need is love will lessen the growing polarization taking place in this country. But it reminded us of a tried and true mediation technique when you have two parties that basically say they hate each other. 
the mediator will ask each party to tell the worst story they can think about the other. And they're allowed to use profanity, false stereotypes, and even direct insults. And they're generally encouraged to just let it all out. Don't hold anything back. And here's the interesting thing. Once these heightened feelings are expressed, many times combatants will break into laughter about how silly their exaggerated descriptions of each other sound. Now, it doesn't mean both parties will ever reach an agreement, but by lightening the energy in the room, both parties' story about their need to be combative changes. And from there, only good things can happen. So going back to the question we are tracking, will either party learn anything useful from the midterms? We're going to be watching to see if anyone changes their tone when they are in discourse with their opponents, with the media, and with the voters. Our theory of the case is voters are tired of the heated rhetoric being expressed by both parties when America has so many challenges to address that are very real for most citizens. It will be interesting to see if either the MAGA Republicans or Biden Democrats start using a warmer, more humorous tone as they try to win the culture war currently in progress. Certainly, we saw some positive effect of President Biden doing that that just surprised all of us. So we'll see. Well, I think that's going to do it for this session of the Vital Signs of Democracy podcast. You can learn more about our work at bridgealliance.us or you can find ways to be involved at citizenconnect.us. If you want to know the current threat level rating to democracy in America and the stories that are impacting that rating one way or another, you can do this by making your way to vitalsignsofdemocracy.com. Well, let's hope that 2023 is a banner year for democracy thriving in America. Amen to that. Thank you.